This is the Wildernet Podcast for Saturday, May 3rd, 2014, Episode 14. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Wildernet Podcast, where we rediscover nature in a digital age. My name is Shane. Hello, everyone. I'm Eric. Welcome back for another fun episode. Welcome back indeed, everyone. Yeah, it looks like I jumped in a little late there on the intro, but no big deal. Did you, Did you notice? Coffee today? What's that? Did you drink any coffee? No, I tried to. The Keurig machine wasn't working. I was trying to be quick about it. Well, that's your was first not one. working. Oh, well. So, uh, it's been kind of uh, dreary the last... What seems to be the last month or so outside, uh, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, not even just in Wisconsin. I think it's kind of been widespread, so. Yeah. Getting sick of it. Yeah, really. uh, I've been, I got to go outside to run a few times, but it's been uh, pretty, you know, it just hasn't been very, haven't been very motivated lately, given the weather. Um Gotten on the treadmill a few times, but you know it's just not, not the same. Never, never, never is the same. I'm done with the treadmills, and I'm uh, kind of protesting until the weather warms up. Until <laughs> mm-hmm. I go outside to run, anyways. But. Right. Okay. Well, I guess without further ado, joining us is the president of the Safari Club International Wisconsin chapter. My dad. Give it up, everybody, for Harry Maddox. Hey Shane, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? Good, good, good. Eric, so, how are you doing? Good. Yeah. Welcome <laughs> to the show, and thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be a part of this. Sure, Very no happy problem. Happy to have you. Yeah, we've been meaning to do this for some time, but um, glad we finally got around to it here. Um, okay, so most of the reason we have you on here is obviously for uh, the great sport of hunting, but. Uh, Specifically, uh, I think we're just going to go right ahead and do the... The Activity of the Week. And this week's activity is actually kind of a two-part thing. It's hunting and conservation. Um, and that's that's something that my dad and I have talked a lot about, the importance of hunting when it comes to conservation and um so we just had a few questions to go through with you here um if you're cool with that sure fire one ready (laughs) okay (laughs) so just start right off here um and and obviously i know some of the answers to these questions already but i for our it's true (laughs) our audience (laughs) (laughs) that's very true so uh how long have you been hunting wow pretty long um i guess since i was about 12 well so um you know like 44 years so if you can do the math there you know how old my dad is apparently (laughs) (laughs) yep what uh what originally got you into into the sport of hunting well when i was a kid it was pretty normal i mean if you go back just a few generations uh pretty much everyone hunted 
in the Midwest especially, we have a closer connection to people who lived off the land. My grandparents had land in central Wisconsin, and um, you know, not just small game hunting, but uh, the annual deer harvest was a big deal. I mean, that's that's the only meat that they really ever used, unless it was a local farmer that you know had uh, you know a cow or a pig or something to butcher. That's pretty much the source of protein was what you got off the land. Sure. And, and, you know, at that time, you didn't have all the uh, antibiotics and steroids that go into domesticated cattle. You had, um, you know, uh, a more nutritious, lower-fat, lower-cholesterol protein source. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, so, obviously, we mentioned already that you're the president of uh, the SCI, for short, uh, Wisconsin chapter. And uh, what what originally got you involved with that? Well, it's kind of a funny story. I was um, working in construction as a plumbing apprentice in 1980, I think 21 years old. And I, um, at the time, I was pretty interested in exploring mostly motorcycle trips, and I liked hunting, but never really thought much of traveling abroad. Or, or even outside the state. I mean, it, I thought it would be really cool to be able to go out west and hunt for deer or mule deer or elk or something like that, but I never really had the opportunity. I saw an ad in the Milwaukee Journal. I remember journal at the time it was the Sentinel. Um, hmm. uh, it was a partner wanted for an unguided caribou hunt. And uh, eventually met with the person and uh, um, got some details. It was basically just transportation costs and a license and um he was a member of sci and talked a little bit about conservation and you didn't really hear too many at the time not a lot of people um associated hunting with conservation even though hunters are the original conservationists some people look at them as contradicting one another and one really leads to the other without wildlife conservation without animals you don't have um hunting or that type of participation with nature so right um i ended up joining sci went on that trip um the guy that put the ad in the paper didn't go but um i did that trip and met people that were pro-conservationists and pro-hunting and uh before you know it i met somebody that I uh, knew somebody in Wyoming and talked to their uh, chamber of commerce and applied for a license and went out west and went to Canada for black bear and um, eventually went to Quebec for caribou and did a trip to Scotland. And within about five years, I came across a deal to travel to Africa. So before you know it, it was um, kind of an affordable way to meet people that had similar interests. So that's how I got involved. And it's like I said, that's yeah. thirty some years later now. So that was uh eighty five when you took your first trip to Africa, was it? It, it was, yep. Yep. Yeah, wow. Okay. So and I was just mentioning this to you I think the other day, but um you pretty much speak um I think I think you have you speak the most eloquently about hunting where it makes sense, um, where you can describe the the importance of hunting and um, so if you could just tell, you know, what what makes hunting so important to you? 
Well, to me, hunting is well. Let's look at it this way: there's there's very few ways to actually participate in the circle of life, in the natural food chain, or even in nature. Um, you can hunt, or you can fish, or you can collect wild berries and live off vegetation. But that's participating in nature. Virtually everything else you do is an observer or a spectator. And I, I don't think as a species, which we are, we, we like it or not, we're a predator on this planet, um, the one that can reason and can think, but, but that's still what we are. And I don't believe you can take over three-quarters of a planet and then just remove yourself from the food chain. You know, we can't just think we're... I, I think it's almost an obligation to participate. Um, the predator-prey relationship, I think, is extremely beneficial for both species. Um, they're healthier. Mm-hmm. If you look at um, look at what people have done, mankind has done to um, oh to try to replace the adrenaline you get from uh, in nature. I mean, we mm-hmm. do all kinds of things. People jump off bridges with with rubber bands strapped to their ankles. You jump out of airplanes. <laughs> People do all kinds of things for adrenaline rushes. So we all we all can agree, I think, that adrenaline and aerobic activity are healthy. We found that mm-hmm. out in the last 20 years, right? Those are all really good for you. Right. Well, how do you get um, adrenaline and aerobic activity in nature? If you're an animal, most cattle don't get it in a pen. You're either chasing something because... You or your family will starve if you don't catch something. That, that's, that's a lot of aerobic activity. Or you're running away from something because it's trying to eat you. Mm-hmm. So even though the, 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 the reality is um, something always dies for something else to survive, in general, the big picture is that everything is better off. It's the way we've evolved. It's the way everything is better off because of that relationship. Right. I think it's and... important if you have that in your... In your mind, if you've got a natural um, instinct, I think it's almost an obligation to animals to participate in that. Right, and again, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I actually had read about a study that, you know, talks about the fight-or-flight response and how, you know, modern-day homo sapiens or human beings can't uh, get that... What we what we had and what you're talking about in the in the past, where you're, you're either hunting and chasing food, or you're running from being eaten, and that response now in today's terms that you know when people are almost under too much stress, and then we don't do any physical activity in some cases. Um, mm-hmm. Right, it's a great and, way to be outside. You know, and that level of aerobic activity, or specifically even cardiovascular activity nowadays, it's it's almost unnatural. Obviously, in my case, if I'm on a treadmill or something, or you know, or, or we're doing it via sports, you know, games, which isn't, you got to think what came first. I mean, obviously, uh, being a predator or prey, being chased or chasing clearly was the original form of cardiovascular activity. <laughs> There's no and other way around animals, that, I don't think. Animals, it's still the only form. Right. <laughs> Very true. I, mean, I can't say I've ever thought of it that way. Just because humans, as the dominant predator on the planet, have chosen to do less of it, doesn't mean it's any less important for the other animals that used to rely on it much more. Mm-hmm. I got—I have to believe that even in Wisconsin, even during our 
nine-day gun season. You know, there's lots of human scent in the woods all in one given day, and there's gunshots, and there's things that have to get adrenaline going. And, you know, like, like a lot, there's people that think this is ridiculous. How can an animal get a, get a rush out of being chased? Well, there has to be a sense of relief. And call it what you will, we know that they develop adrenaline. And we, we pretty much think that adrenaline is a good experience for humans, so why wouldn't it be for other animals and other species? So, Right. Interesting take. Um, one of the questions we have here is, um, coming from you, what, what do you think the first steps would be for um, youth or anyone else uh, trying to get involved in hunting and, and the conservation of that? Well, I think, um, for first of all, I think Boy Scouts is a great activity, is a great uh, group for youth to get involved. Um, our chapter, Safari Club, just put you know well over $100,000 into the shooting ranges at uh, Camp Longlake for the Boy Scouts. Um, at least they, they're still involved in outdoor activities from canoeing, and, and Shane can attest to some of the early uh, canoe trips we did there. Oh, yeah. There. In nature, I mean, you can fish during the trips. It's uh, it's a great experience. Yeah, and um, that's what Eric and, and I, I were doing that, last you know, summer. Talking about the computer age, mm-hmm. you know, we're just talking about expending uh, or getting aerobic activity. It used to be in a natural environment, you couldn't get calories without expending energy. I mean, you if you weren't chasing something, you unless you were really really lucky, it always took calories to get. Whether it's whether whatever it takes, you have to expend calories to get food, and uh, I think more and more in this in our modern society, there's a lot of people that don't um, expend calories at all, and I think that's one of our current problems with people being not as fit as they used to be. Right. Which not, is... not to mention, um, young people typically always have a natural. Um, Oh, a natural, um, I want to say, exploration, in, you know, inquisitive for, for exploring. And, and the way you used to stimulate your brain that way is actually to be outside and explore terrain and explore new areas and new lands and whatever it is, your surroundings. And nowadays, more and more, people are being more familiar with artificial terrain on a computer screen. Yeah. Whether it's a building or it's a game where you do... you. Memorize a whole land, but don't even know the Bob Marshall Wilderness area exists, or where you used to go to a might be a natural a um, public hunting ground in central Wisconsin or the Nicolet National Forest. I think there used to be a lot more people would get out and scout in preparation for their maybe their annual deer season, and and I think we're losing more of that. You know, but back to your original question, I think the Boy Scouts or canoeing or just basically exploring in the outdoors is a good way to get started. Sure. And um, just participating or trying be baby steps, I guess, are to mm-hmm. exactly animals and, and see them in their natural habitat. Sure. So, uh, when it comes to SCI specifically, how can our listeners, um, how would they go about becoming a member? I'm actually pretty curious myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a national website. We have SCI, Safari Club International, and uh, we've got SCI Wisconsin Chapter, SCI WI. We've got membership applications. We have, an, we have a monthly membership meeting. We actually have it at, at Aliotos the third Thursday of the month. 
um, on Highway 100 and Hampton in uh, in Wauwatosa. Okay. Um, and we usually have a a program or a social event, but it's just a matter of meeting other people that that do participate in the outdoors. Whether it's primarily our organization is mostly hunting, but most of the people hunt and fish. And uh, I guess the big thing is you meet people that have done almost anything you can imagine on the planet. You know, if you have an interest in, I've always said, you know, with, within our organization, we always wonder how to recruit people, and and they wonder if you should be trying to target people that want to travel to hunt or fish. And quite honestly, I didn't know what my aspirations were until I joined. You know, at, at, at 20 years old or 21 years old, it's hard to know where your life is going to lead. And I, I guess... Going to some of these meetings and hearing some stories, you either find out if you have that interest or you don't. And I right. think more people would develop that interest um, without, and if they weren't introduced to it, you, you wouldn't even know. It's like sure. not going to college. I mean, you may go down roads and, and take classes that you didn't even dream of before you were exposed to it. Yep. And uh, speaking of stories, um, do you, and, and I know this, you've been through a lot of, I've been to a lot of different places and through a lot of different experiences, but do you have a favorite uh, memory, experience, or story um, from hunting that you can think of offhand, or are there multiple ones that you'd like to share? Well, there's multiple ones, but... Um... I don't know if you guys have heard of the, you know, Aldo Leopold is a uh, a well-known Wisconsin conservationist who uh, wrote a book, and he spoke of the four stages of being a hunter. Are you guys familiar with those with those stages at all? I I don't think I am. Uh, Aldo Leopold wrote the Sand, Sand County Aldo, uh, um, Aldermac. Um if you ever have a chance to pick up that book, like I said, he's from Wisconsin, from central Wisconsin, that portage area. And he went in, he had lots of, lots of, um, uh, good anecdotes. One, one, he didn't, uh, was always had a fear that someday people would think that food came from the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a lot of people that really think that, that don't know where food comes from. <laughs> right. Or that heat would come from a furnace, you know, and it's because back then more people lived off of uh, burning wood and to heat to heat their homes. Just like I just said earlier, the, another fear is, you know, someday people are gonna maybe think that um, Middle Earth is more real than, like I said, the Bob Marco <laughs> real wilderness area in Montana. Yeah, you know, so I guess it's. Uh, Anyway, the, back to the fourth stage, I was going to say that because the fourth stage is actually mentoring and sharing your experiences. So first stage of being a hunter is being successful. You start hunting, whoever introduces you, your biggest goal is to get something. I mean, mm -hmm. that seems as basic as it can be, but yep. that's the first stage. Typically after that, a hunter tries to be more and more proficient. And this goes back, we're talking centuries um, you know, to be more proficient, it becomes quantity. You try to get animals enough for other people, not for just yourself, your family, your 
neighbors. It would be a whole village in, in ancient times. Then when you get beyond that quantity stage, um, you tend to look for reasons to not take certain animals, and you try to be selective, and that's where trophy hunting comes in. Trophy hunting really was developed um, pretty much by, uh, you know, a main player was Teddy Roosevelt and the Boone and Crockett Club, and, and they developed that for reasons to pass up young and small animals, not just to shoot for meat. If you could be selective, um, you're trying to get a better quality animal, something that's, that's older in its last years of life, has a lower impact on the population. Um, and then the fifth stage is to pass on to future generations, to mentor people, to pass on what you've learned, um, which I've found with being able to take my sons with um, Shane, both Shane and Kurt, I think probably, and, and I've taken them, we've been to um, New Zealand and, and Africa a few times, and we were able to go to Af- to Alaska a few years ago on a Yep, um, we got Dalton, my... Uh... Which was... Um, an awesome experience that ended up being, you know, 21 hours away from a spike camp, you know, slept on the hillside and we all three got, you know, big male rams in a, in a group, but it was a tremendous experience and, yep. um, you know, pushed ourselves a little kind of, kind of to the limit, but. And I've got that canvas up. print right behind me actually right now. <laughs> With uh, three of us and our, well, actually, just two of the sheep, but <laughs> but yeah. there were three. Well, the thing, the, I guess, the thing about um, hunting is is and being all, there's so many experiences. You know, I've said for a long time that it's it's always important to start saving. We all know saving money from an early age um, it gives you financial independence, and it's and it's good. We know how important it is, but. Very rarely do you hear somebody at, uh, you know, a senior citizen or someone in their senior years um, talking to other people. They don't normally talk about how much money they have. They, it's more often they talk about their lifetime experiences. You never hear, uh, I never hear, uh, you know, a retired hunter saying, you know, I wish I'd get that uh, money back from that elk tag I bought in 05. <laughs> never. Mm-hmm. They'll talk about the experience. Even if it's even if it wasn't great and they weren't successful, it's still an experience. And the thing about that I really think is important about being involved in an organization like SCI. SCI is pro um, hunting heritage through responsible conservation. We know we have to have responsible conservation. The, the North American model for wildlife conservation leads the world. I mean, if you look at what we have for species, they're abundant in North America. And hunters pay to protect all the species. Almost 1,300, 13 or 1,400 species are protected by hunting licenses. And there's only about 140 species that are actually hunted across the across North America. Hmm. So, uh, you know, hunters play a big role. And, I, and with good reason. I mean, they have the most to gain because um, I think that... Uh, and it's it's really hard to describe because if if you hunt and you participate in nature, um, you have a genuine connection with an appreciation for nature that uh, you can only get through this participation. Um, 
it's, and it's really hard to describe. Um, you can love animals, and it's almost a melancholy experience when, um, uh, you, you know, if you look at some of the European hunters and the Native American hunters, they had a very deep respect for the animals because an animal actually gives its life for you to exist. Yeah. And I think there's a deep understanding of that when you really get involved in nature at that level. And Absolutely. you go through all the stages and you're able to eventually start. And the other thing I thought about is if you spend a whole lifetime of developing experiences and hunting and your skills, if you don't pass that on to future generations, when you're gone, did you actually learn all that for no reason at all? Right. Hmm. I mean, if you can share those experiences, we're supposed to build on, stand on, on, our, on our predecessor's shoulders and build on that. And uh, if we don't, if it goes by the wayside, is it all for nothing? Sure. Good points. Okay, well, uh, I think we just have one more question for you here. Uh, by who's we, the I best... think you mean you. <laughs> who's the best son ever? <laughs> you, don't, <laughs> you don't have to answer that. There's two of us, as you mentioned. Um... <laughs> yeah, you guys have both been great. We've had some great trips and... Uh... Hope, yeah, we hope have. To do many more. Um, from our canoe trips in the Boundary Waters to, um, you know, you've both been to New Zealand on mm-hmm. hunting trips and Africa. Yeah. I think you've each been three times. We've had some great trips and um, it's been awesome. Hope to go to Alaska again in the near future. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you I think we're gonna keep me on, keep me on uh, standby for that, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, did you have any other questions, Eric? Um, no, I mean, we covered a lot of ground there and like you said, it was put very eloquently, like, I can't say that word. Can you help me out eloquently? <laughs> yeah, I get I eloquently and elegantly mixed up myself. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard, hard time sometimes. <laughs> no, well, that was awesome. Chance, like, as I said, I said earlier, Sand County Almanac, that's, um, that's really a good, I mean, it's an old, it's an old book, but it's a good read on, uh, from, by Aldo Leopold. Like I said, he's a famous Wisconsin conservationist. Actually, I do have a lot of really good stuff in there. I do have a question. Is is that the same Leopold for that that has to do with the the brand name for the the um, rifle scopes? No, no, no. Okay. All the Leopold is really, like I said, he's a Wisconsin native. Different. Nothing to do with the Leopold. I was wondering that too, actually. <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's just uh, get right into this then. Um, we've got. Well, well, we'll get to it here real quick. One sec. Word in the woods. Okay, so I've got a couple articles here, and they're all actually related to hunting, so feel free to chime in at any time, either one of you. Um, So this article comes from ehextra.com, and it is Deer Season Changes Coming. And this is, again, for Wisconsin specifically. So... I talk about a few things in this article. Um, apparently there's 58 proposed rule changes. Um, the number of deer management units is going down from 134 to 76. Um, you know, I just had a couple of points to take out of this article here, but uh, there's apparently no longer an age restriction for the use of crossbows. And... Um, 
this part I wasn't really clear on. I know there were talks of the calling in for registration. Um, what uh, I, I know Eric's talked about it. I I think you've talked about it, Dad. What um, what's going on with that right now? Well, a few things that you just mentioned, the deer management units have been um, where they're at for, for decades. Well, they're changing to units by county. So every county will be its own management unit. That's why the number has left. Sure. Um, has, has been reduced. And I do believe they're going to allow calling in for um, registration instead of um, having to show the animal at a registration station. Yeah, that is, yeah and that's not until next year, though. That, that okay. anyways. Yeah, because yeah, this sure. this particular article mentions uh, it says Wisconsin's among the few states without automated deer registration, so I think that's what that's saying, most likely. Um, there's also apparently some proposals out there for uh, making trapping and spearing more accessible. Um, do you have any uh, insight into that? I don't right now. I'm not okay. able to be done with the changing on the. Uh, trapping regulations right yeah it was uh yeah, it was just a couple of things with uh trapping all sorts of small game and um i believe it was pike uh spearing specifically that uh they're going to that they're trying to make uh i think legal now because what is it now uh the, the spearing laws are pretty strict right now right yeah, I think they're allowed carp. There's just certain species that they can spear, yeah. Okay. And there's obviously only a certain, a small window for surgeon spearing in the, you know, in February. Okay, yep. All right, cool. And then uh, just one other article here we have uh, from dailyrecordnews.com. Inside the outdoors, antlers, horns, and shed hunting. And this goes along more or less with what we were what our activity was last week, which was shed hunting. And um, I know that's actually something, um, again, my dad, he, uh, we, we used to do more so, well, I used to do more so when we were kids, but um, I, I actually talked about last time about how you used to bake those Easter baskets for us and everything and how cool that was. Um, and there's actually a quote in this article I thought was kind of funny. Um, talks about, uh, to quote, John McGowan, the longtime manager of the Oak Creek feeding site west of Natchez, <laughs> describes antler hunting as tough hunting over miles and miles of rough country, kind of like an East adult Easter egg hunt. <laughs> Very nice fine chain. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that really uh, pertained yeah, there, I think. Yeah, I used to always call it, yeah, it's a, you can do it around Easter, and that's, yeah, we used to call it an adult Easter egg hunt. All right. And then they and, also go and into... it's legal to find more than one. During deer season, you're only allowed to take one deer. The, the neat thing about finding shed antlers to me is that if the antlers are shed, the chances are that buck has survived the winter. If the antlers right. are, if, he, if he died, the antlers would be a permanent part of the skull for the rest of forever. Very good point. And then the article here also goes into a little bit about, uh, you know, obviously... I, You've many times have uh, described the difference between horns and antlers to me, but this article goes on to explain it, you know, how horns are never shed, made of uh, keratin, I think it's pronounced, um, mm -hmm. similar to hooves or fingernails, and then antlers are made of bone, 
shed annually, and that's uh, just in the deer family specifically. There is one exception to that, you know. Uh, do I know that? <laughs> well, pronghorn antelope are the only horned animal that ha- that are unique in two ways. It's the only oh, yes. horned animal antelope that actually has a prong or a fork to it, and it's the only horned animal um, that uh, sheds its horns annually, too. Right, and... And that's, again, um, not a true antelope, right? It's not an antelope, no, but it's not really a goat or sheep either. It's a species all to itself. Well. Because goats and sheep all, and, and antelope, all of those don't shed their horns. So is that, can you go um, <laughs> pronghorn shed hunting? Is that a thing? <laughs> well, I have found sheds in Wyoming, but I don't okay. know of anybody that makes a big, it seems to be way more popular to hunt for um, deer and, right. and mule deer and whitetail. And I know people at elk shed hunt. I know people that go out to Colorado just to shed hunt. Some people I know that go wow. to Ontario to, to hunt for moose sheds, but pronghorn isn't quite as popular. There aren't as many, you know, there are multiple species and, and they don't have a huge different, um, configuration the neat thing about antlers is there's no two of them the same they're like a, they're like fingerprints so oh yeah um you find them and they're unique and and it's unique to that deer That's you can identify that deer so if, if you're hunting a certain area and if you find that you enjoy shed hunting it gives you an idea of what deer what's an area you can find sheds over multiple years so you get an idea how old the deer is and how big the deer are that are in the area now I'd start to wonder how I'm finding its sheds and not the deer itself. <laughs> Eric, would you mind reading that next quote? I thought it was kind yeah. of interesting. Is this from the same site? Yep. All right. Quote, antlers grow as blood-engorged tissue protected by velvet, a hairy skin. They may grow three or four inches daily. Uh, and then it says here in parentheses, if we grew bone like that, a broken leg would be healed in three days. Right. So that that was the part I was really intrigued by. Pretty interesting. Um, There's a lot of uh, supplemental uh, products for for weightlifting that uses antlers. I'm somehow I don't know much about it, but apparently it's a, a pretty big fad that's uh, hmm. kind of going across that industry for one of own bikes. They actually raise deer in New Zealand. They raise them across the world, but New Zealand is the, the world producer of what they call velvet, and they actually harvest the antlers from a live deer. Um, and freeze it and dry it and uh, powderize, powderize it. It's, it's it's a unique cell because it's actually the fastest growing cell, um, second I think only to cancer cells. You know, you're talking about three mm. inches a day. You know, moose grows a hundred pounds of antler up to a hundred pounds of antler or solid bone on its head in just three months. Wow, which is <laughs> phenomenal. And if you think of the potential for um, medical, you know, if, if, and, and then not only does it grow it that fast, but then it stops. Mm-hmm. And then that, and that's actually a permanent part of the skull until the animal lives to, if it lives again. to February or so, then it falls off and starts the whole process all over again. Yeah. Kind of amazing. You don't want to be around that when they shed those antlers, I don't think. That would be deadly. <laughs> of course, you probably don't want to be around a moose in general if... <laughs> At least not during the rut or anything, but yeah, they can be they can be dangerous. That's for sure. Yeah, 
so it also mentions um, the drop that the apparently the lowest uh, testosterone level when the deer are, or moose or any of them are at their lowest testosterone level, which is apparently mostly between December and February. Does that sound accurate to you? Oh, when they shed their antlers? Yeah. And I know it stays low until until um, September, and that's when they start to to um, strip the velvet or the skin on the outside of the horns. That's when they start basically mock fighting, fighting with brush and and um, basically preparing for their rut because they fight with other bucks. Okay, cool. Their neck muscles get big, their necks swell, and... But from September to really the end of November, you know, that's their breeding season, and that's when they won't tolerate one another. Usually after sure. February, the bucks, um, you know, get into bachelor groups, and they hang out together, and then by September, they don't tolerate one another again. Usually <laughs> they're pretty much an all-deer species. Right. Okay. Well, and then they just... Uh, listed a couple of other resources uh, for the North American Shed Hunters Club in Wisconsin. Um, the website is shedantlers.org. There's um, a website to get kids involved with it. That's uh, backwoodsbound.com slash whyantlers.html. <laughs> and then uh, there's uh, another site here that can tell you, you know, what they're worth or how to make furniture or fixtures out of them and that's at uh, bigantlers.com so that's actually a really interesting thing i've always been intrigued by is like the antler chandeliers and the lamps and all that kind of stuff something i wouldn't mind picking up one of the one of these days um but anyway that's i think that's pretty much that um we don't have uh I don't think anyone wrote in, right, Eric? Um, no, not specifically. No. Anybody comment recently on Facebook or anything? A couple of comments. Uh, apparently, we got some beer drinkers in the audience. <laughs> this is fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So no sound off this week, but uh, so we'll just get right into where to find us, Eric. Uh, why don't you tell? the fine folks out there, where they can find you. Ah, oh, shucks. Thanks, Shane. Um, well, uh, if you're listening uh, frequently, you'll know that you can find me at um, facebook.com slash wisconsin, also known as W2H. Um, lots coming. I know I said this last week, but it's a process, so we're um, with the cat out of the bag here. We're building some mobile applications that will be launching hopefully by the end of May. Uh, so look forward to that coming out soon, too. Awesome. And uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at ShaveMaddox. Um, may not be on there or anything, but feel free to uh, shoot me a message if you'd like. And then... The Moment of Reflection. So tranquil... So, uh, hunting, it's, uh, it's a great thing. It's a great way to get outdoors, of course, and it's much more important than most people realize. Um, again, you know, as my dad noted, um, 
a lot of people nowadays think that food comes from the grocery store, which is kind of a shame. Um, shed hunting nowadays, it's, again, it's still cool. It's, uh, even though we talked about it last episode, we can, um, still, still happening right now, right? No reason you can't find them at this point. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. This would be still a great time to find sheds. Anytime before the vegetation gets gets really high. Sure. And then, uh, again, just to sum up, there's uh, some big changes coming with uh, the Wisconsin hunting laws. So, um, I mean, I don't know. Are they, are they for the good, for the worse? I'm, I'm not yeah, even... It's hard to say. It's yeah. hard to say. A lot of uh, controversy about a lot of the things that are changing from what I've read. And I do read... Mm-hmm. But I, I think they've got some good. I think they've made some improvements across the state, and I think they're in the right direction to try to Im- improve our uh, our our deer herd. And uh, yeah, I think I think what our DNR is doing now is, and what they're implementing is is definitely going to be beneficial to our state. All right. Yeah, I, I definitely hope so. Especially when you talk about conservation, I'd like to keep hunting in our state and have the herd be healthy and plentiful. You know. That's right. That's the goal. All right. But, uh, it was a, it was awesome having you on. I, I awesome. especially liked your your uh, bit about uh, participating uh, in nature versus just being a spectator, which is fun too. But you know, it'd be like watching a game, a football game, versus being a part of the game and actually being a player. That's right. I think that's a really get out, get out, and get out and participate and enhance the lives of all the species that are out there. They have that interaction, and it, it, it benefits both us and them. All right. Sounds awesome. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, this was a lot of fun. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, um, anything else, Eric? No. Um, wait, do we play some? Wait, do we play music? No, we did. We did that already. <laughs> you you take it first, play. and I follow. Do you, have, do you have more of a moment of reflection? No, no, I've reflected. Okay, sounds good. Um, Well, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Um, And until next time, take care. And get outside. Get outside. Go participate. Get outside. (laughs) 